I'm not sure if that was for me or you, but I'll take it. So let's, uh, let's jump into the Word this morning. Come on, let's pray. Let's get our hearts and our minds focused on hearing from our Father in Heaven. God, we love You in this place. We love Your Word. We love Your presence. We thank You. You speak so clearly to us. I pray today, Father, that You would release now the spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear what God is going to say to us today. The first thing I want to say is uh, about a month ago, I was in prayer and I felt this, I felt this uh, urgency that the prayer level of our church needs to increase. For us to experience God, His presence, His healing, His salvation, His deliverance, His freedom, that's a spiritual reality. We are in a spiritual battle and everything that comes from heaven to earth comes through the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is released into our lives, our churches, our nation through prayer. And so, as I was kneeling in my bedroom, I said, well, Father, how do we increase the prayer quotient of our church? And I really felt Him impress on my heart immediately, call the church to prayer every Sunday morning at 9.30, right down front here, just right in front of this wall. And I was thinking about all the logistics of that. I was thinking about people that show up late, let alone coming to 9.30, and I was thinking about all this, but... I said, okay, give me confirmation this is what you want me to call the church to do. And so about a half hour later, I get a text from a pastor friend saying, hey, do you have time for coffee this morning? I happened to, so we met for coffee. And as we were talking, he said, you know, our church doesn't pray like we used to. And we need to get more prayer in our church. And he said, but one thing we are doing, our church is gathering at 930 every Sunday morning, and we're praying right there in the sanctuary before church starts. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't tell anybody about this, and that next Sunday, I showed up the church, and we normally had three, four, five intercessors that pray right behind those curtains over there, that curtain wall. We had 13 people show up for prayer, and it was like, where did these folks come from? And that happened two Sundays in a row, and so we had a leadership retreat, our annual leadership retreat this weekend, and I talked to the leadership about it, and I said, look, you know, I don't know how many will show, but let's start this thing. And so Josh... I said, have all the sound crew and the lighting crew and the band done by 9.30, and we just start praying. The set, I told, talked to David Lotz, who heads the set of breakdown crew, have your folks come, and let's start praying, because we can work hard and pray little and produce nothing. Or we can pray hard and work hard and produce the kingdom. And so we started it this morning without me even talking to you about it, and we had 22 people here this morning praying at 9.30, and it was so powerful. So I want to invite you, if you would, come at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. Sometimes I know you can't, but if you can, 9.30, right down here. Those with kids, bring your, we had a mom with her kids here today. If the kids are a little disruptive, you can prayer walk with your kids around the outside of the building or inside uh, the sanctuary here. And um, let's just up the prayer ante and let's watch God do more God stuff when we come together. Amen? Amen? So next Sunday, we're going to meet right down here for those that can at 9.30. This morning, I want to continue uh, the message I began a few weeks ago on befriending God. My favorite description of my personal relationship and the relationship that I try to invite people into is a friendship with God. I understand the holy God. I have fallen before His face and His presence before I couldn't even talk. I get that. But there's, there's, God is so multifaceted. And I think the relationship we're not even a, uh, maybe aware of or even aware that is available or that he really gets excited about is this friendship piece. 
But let me ask you something. In life, how many of you deeply value the friendships that you have? Just raise your hand if you sincerely value friendships, right? We were designed with that desire. Whose image are we created in? God created us. So everything we have, everything we are, is a reflection of the nature of God. And we studied how Jesus had a friendship, a phileo, a brotherly love with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He enjoyed them. He liked them. In a friendship, lousy friendships are the kind of friendships where you always do what the other person wants to do, but you never get to do what you like to do. Like when you get married. How many of you married your opposite? Raise your hand. I don't, yeah, see, I don't know if this is God just having some sixth sense of humor or if this is a divine design to help us mature and grow and become more like him through the beauty of marrying somebody who is the opposite of you. Of course, I know it's the latter, but wow. I mean, when Hope and I first got married, it was a long distance, short short uh, engagement. We, we, met, we met in January, married in November, and she lived in Louisiana. I lived here. So we got married, and we didn't really know each other very well. She was pretty. That's all I knew. And I said, she's godly, and she's pretty. I want that, pretty much. And so, you know, guys, we, we hunt and we gather, and that's what I did. So we got married, and we went to a coffee shop. I said, why don't you go to the other side of the coffee shop, and you write down the things that are your core values, the thing that mean the most to you in life and prioritize them. And I'll do the same thing. Let's come together and let's compare notes. And so we did that. And I said, okay, what do you have? Her first one, structure. I said, you know, this might not be the best time to have this conversation. Why don't we, why don't we go take a walk in the beach? She said, no, 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 I want to see yours. I said, nah, I don't think you want to see mine. Yeah, yeah. I said, great. My first one fun and spontaneity so we've compromised over the last 21 years I've become more structured so or how about entertainment dear God how can someone turn our family movie night into watching documentaries My wife's a scientist. She loves documentaries. I like blow them up, bang them up. I try to get her into the UFC. You know what I did just recently? I'm going to tell off of myself. I turn on the UFC. I said, honey, come on, let's watch some. We sat down. The UFC was on. She says, no. I said, forgive me. I said, honey, see this guy getting in the ring? Yeah, I said, his wife got really ill. And he left the UFC for a season to take care of her. And now he's back in. And this this is his return. She said, really? And she sits up. And I'm like, I got her. And she said, so what, what kind of sickness did his wife had? And I couldn't continue. I said, I lied. I said, I just wanted you to be into it. And I knew you'd be into it if you knew there was some kind of story of a guy who sacrificed for his wife. I confessed. Point is, in a friendship, in a marriage, we have to be, we have to consider what the other person likes and yield to them so that they get to enjoy things in our relationship as well. So I want to extrapolate this into our relationship with God. God has already proved to us that he's our friend. 
He serves us. He meets our needs. He died on the cross for us. He's reserved, he's reserved heaven for us. He walks with us. He encourages us. He talks with us. I mean, he has proved his friendship to us. But us proving our friendship to him, we don't even know maybe what he likes. Like my son Josiah and I went trick-or-treating just recently. And uh, when you look into the basket and you're looking for the candy that you like, right? Well, there's a Reese's. You lean over toward it and you bend toward it and you draw near to it and you grab that Reese's because that's what you like. There is a word in the Bible we're going to be looking at today. It's the word to delight. We see it all through the scriptures. I'm going to show you today what God delights in. So many things. I picked out 10. And we're going to have to move kind of quickly. The word delight, though, means this. To take pleasure in, to bend towards, to incline towards. Like you're reaching into that little basket and picking out the candy that you like. There are things that God likes. And here is our aim in life. If you wonder, what is my goal in life? What is to be my purpose in life? God, what is your purpose for my life? So many people, even believers, ask this question. The Bible is very clear about what our purpose in life is supposed to be. And it's this right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, so we make it, read this out loud with me, would you? Boldly. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Our goal Our aim is to please the Lord, whether we're here or we're in heaven. So, it would be great to know what it is that pleases the Lord. What does He delight in? What is He like? What does He lean toward? Let's look at these today. I got ten we're going to look at. Number one is His people. God delights, leans toward, takes pleasure in you. I know that's a shock. It's a shock to me too. We live with such a sense of disappointing God, failing God. We're so aware of our sin. The Bible says there is none who does not sin. We're so aware of this. We're so aware of what we do that does not please the Lord that I fear that most of us live our lives thinking more about catch this so we can go through this list and you don't just crawl into your seat and want to die as we look at these 10 things God likes and we see how we're falling short think about the ways that you do please the Lord if on the front of our mind on the front of our hearts every day we're thinking about how we're falling short and displeasing the Lord we will keep our distance from him We will live in shame and an inordinate fear of God rather than saying, yes, I blow it. Yes, I sin. So does everybody to my right and my left. But the Lord still takes pleasure in me. And there are things I do that he likes. But it's got to begin with you and I believing that the Lord delights in us, even in our brokenness. How many of you have children? Just raise your hand. Do they always do everything you always want them to do? Do they please you 100% of the time? No, but do you delight in them? Oh my gosh. My children are the joy of my heart. Yes, they drive me crazy. And yes, I want to bury them in a hole in the backfield every once in a while. 
But for the most part, they are my joy. I delight in my children and so do you. And so does God. Where do you think we get that delight from? We are made in his image. You don't love your children more than God loves you. Take the love and the delight and the joy you have in your children and just magnify it exponentially. And that's the joy God has over you. Look what the Bible says about this. Zephaniah 3.17 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you. We're going to see this word delight and please all the way through. He takes delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm your fears. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. In every scripture that I'm going to read today, we, I've got a candy basket full of scriptures today. So we're kind of, this is, more le- this is much less of me expounding, more of looking at a survey of what God likes. So I'm going to just bounce through a bunch of scriptures. But in every scripture, you're going to see that I've underlined the word delight. So we see the things that God likes. He likes you. Look what the psalmist said, Psalm 18, 19. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because I was perfect. Because I so impressed him. Say it out loud. Because he delights in me. Can you honestly and with integrity say that? He delights in me. We just stop here for a moment because otherwise the whole rest of the message, you're not going to connect with it. Will you do me a favor? Just close your eyes and just say out loud, God delights in me. <laughs> That's the truth. That revelation so liberates you. God delights in me. That's the first thing God likes is you. The second thing God likes, he takes pleasure in, is sharing his kingdom with his people. God is a giver. Look what the scripture says in uh, the book of Luke. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom god did not create the kingdom for himself when god created you and i he didn't say i'm going to create something called people and i'm just going to be mean to them i'm going to make them grovel and i'm not going to give them anything why would he do that Our God created us after he created the world, the galaxies. He created them first. Then he created Adam and Eve. He created us and said, look what I made for you. This is your playground. This is yours. The waves that we enjoy to surf on, he created those for us to surf on them. Do you realize that he created sex? God did that. (laughs) I noticed that your wife didn't say that. God created wealth. 
He put the gold and the silver and the onyx stone. and the, He put that in the earth. God created laughter. God created love. God created all of it for us to enjoy. He's a good God. And He loves to share. It says, what is this? I'm going to read this again. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Look what uh, number, the book of Numbers says. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. The first thing God likes, the first thing He leans toward and takes pleasure in is you and me, His people, His bride. That's why it's not good to speak evil of the church. It's His bride. If you want to get on a husband's bad side, talk smack about his bride. He loves his bride. Secondly, is he loves to give us all that he has. And heaven's just waiting for us, the Father's house. The third thing God likes, he delights in and leans toward. Number three, God delights in your prayers. Look at the scripture says in Proverbs 15, 8. The prayer of the upright is his delight. Again, I want to not allow you to disqualify yourself by saying, well, I'm not the upright. Well, the first part of that scripture said, says, the sacrifice of the wicked, the Lord despises. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. So which are you going to choose to be in? What, what category are you in? Are you the wicked or are you the upright? I got one upright, do I hear two, do I hear two, do I hear two upright, do I hear two, I hear two upright, I got to do I hear three, do I hear three, okay, listen, the upright does not mean the perfect, forget about perfect, perfection, there's only one Jesus, so just get off of it, get off of the throne, you don't have holes in your hands with light shafts coming through, you, you are not perfect and you will never be perfect until he comes back, boom! You get a glorified body, a perfect body, praise the Lord. You will have the full mind of Christ. You will be, I mean, perfectly, perfect expression of, of the nature of God. But for now, nobody does. So when he says the upright, he's not talking about the perfect. He's talking about those who are upright in heart, who desire to do right and do their best to do right. And for the most part, do right. It's the nature of a person, the type of person. The Bible says the wicked plots and plans and schemes evil and to do harm to others. That's not you. Don't disqualify yourself from scriptures like this. Why does God take delight in your prayers? There's three reasons. One, he gets to spend time with you. That's why God created us. He loves to hear your voice. I have six kids, and every single one of them cannot replace the other one. I know every one of their voices. I know each one of their laughters. I, can, I know each one of their cries. I know what each one likes, what each one doesn't like. I record movies all the time, and I record the movies according to which one of my children, my children would like that movie. And then I watch. I say, hey, you want to watch a movie? I got one recorded for you. I know their personalities. The father, a father loves to spend time with his kids. When you pray, God says, yes, I get to spend some time with them. The second reason that God loves your prayers and takes delight in them, leans toward them, is he gets to hear your heart. I mean, look, I got six teenagers. 
and pretty much you get grunts, right? They walk through the room, they go, I go, good morning, uh, that's it. It's pretty much what you get most of the time. Uh, eh. Yeah, somebody goes, aw. But every once in a while, the universe is lined up just right. <laughs> like this morning, I was up praying for you, I had a cup of coffee, and one of my daughters came down, got her a cup of coffee, and instead of going right back up into her room, she sat down. And she started talking to me. I thought, what is this? <laughs> Not Bella. Bella and I have a great relationship. She tells me everything. <laughs> Not true. She tells her mom everything. I get, I get bits and pieces. But it's like with Bella, if I want to hear her heart, I know to take her out to eat. <laughs> or we go hiking. Right? With Josiah, we, uh, we, we play wheelchair basketball. I crush him. <laughs> no, I don't get in a wheelchair. Sam does, though. That's fun. Sam gets in the wheelchair to play wheelchair basketball with his brother who's in a wheelchair. And uh, it's, it's hilarious because, Sam, you know, if you don't live in a wheelchair, you're not real accustomed to it. And so, you know, you, you, when you go off the driveway, you hit dirt, right, because our, our field's dirt up there, and the wheels don't work. So numerous times, Sam would be going after a, 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 a ball going out of bounds. He'll go, and the, it'll hit the dirt, boom, and he's like <laughs> facing the dirt. It's hilarious. And why, what's the third reason God loves to hear your prayers? Why he takes delight in them? He gets to do big things when you pray big prayers. He loves to show off his power and his majesty. Stop praying these dinky prayers. You don't serve a dinky God. I pray prayers. You know, I call certain prayers. I pray big, fat, stupid prayers. I pray big, fat, stupid prayers. And when they come to pass, they are glorious. The fourth thing that God likes, what he leans toward, he takes delight in, is not just you, not just giving you his kingdom, not just your prayers, but your faith. Look at the scripture says another word that, that we see the word please or delight. And it is impossible, not hard to, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. How many of you believe God exists? Raise your hands. You're already pleasing him. And you didn't even know it. And that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Why do you think your faith pleases God? Think about it. Replace the word faith with trust. Same thing. What if you promised somebody you were going to do something for them? And then another person comes up and tells that person... Don't believe them. You can't believe anything that comes out of their mouth. Don't trust them. And you heard about it. Like the person you promised came up to you and said, you know what, so-and-so told me I can't believe anything you say. How do you feel right now? Hurt? Offended? Angry? Because that's a, that, that is an insult to your character. When we don't trust God, it's an insult to Him. 
Because what we're saying is, I don't believe you. I don't believe your word. I don't believe your promises. I don't trust you. That's why God likes your faith. Because you're saying, I trust him. I believe he's true and honest and faithful. I trust my God. God says, oh man, I like that. You're saying good things about me. I lean toward you. I lean toward your faith and your trust in me. I was in a meeting this week with some high school principals and one of them said to one of my colleagues, you know, we were in a mass the other day, a Catholic mass, and the priest said when they were doing the communion, this one phrase, mystery of faith. He said, mystery of faith. He said, I don't understand what that means, mystery of faith. And this particular principal is not a Christian. And my colleague said, oh, faith's not a mystery to me. He said, really? He said, no. He says, I was led to the Lord by a dead cat. And I looked at him, I thought, oh, what is he about to say next? I've been working on this guy for a long time, and he's about to blow it by saying something weird. And he said, I, uh, he said, I was in college, and I was taking um, uh, physiology, I was taking microbiology, and I was taking physics. Wow, what a course load. And he said, I was in microbiology, and he said, I had this dead cat in front of me, and we opened it up, and he says, I was following the nervous system through this cat, and seeing how it was all designed and all connected, and he said, he said, I was in a crisis of faith. He said, I, was, I grew up in a Christian home, but then I went to university and I started losing my faith and I had a crisis of faith until I opened up a dead cat. And when I saw the nervous system of this dead cat, immediately I could not doubt that there was a divine designer anymore. A dead cat led him back to Jesus. Isn't that a great testimony? And it pleased the Lord. So God loves you. He likes you. He delights in you. He delights in giving you the kingdom. He delights in your prayers. He delights in your faith. Here's the fifth thing God delights in. Let me tell you something. When I landed on this one, the Bible exploded. I mean, I've got a a good candy basket full of scriptures we're going to read through right now. But I'm telling you, it's just a, a stipend compared to what the Bible says about this next one. God delights in your obedience. You can say, yes, Lord, but you don't do, it's worthless. One of my children, not Bella, one of my children has this habit of saying, yes, sir, to me. That's what he he likes to say, yes, sir. Now you know it's a he. I have three he's, so you don't know which one. Yes, sir. Did you do, are you going to do this? Yes, sir. And then he doesn't do it. And this is like habitual. So now he says, yes, sir. And I say to him, that means absolutely nothing to me. Come on, I'm parenting. Shut up. It's good for him to know that to say and not do is unacceptable. That doesn't work with me. But when my children obey and don't argue and just do, wow, here are the keys of the car. Here's my wallet. What else would you like, right? Doesn't it bring you joy? It brings you so much joy when your parent, when your when your children. You know who else uh, the Lord? You know who else is delighted when children obey their parents? Look at this scripture. I'm jumping a few scriptures down, so follow me back there. In uh, Colossians chapter three, verse twenty. Wow, that was fast. Look at this scripture. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 
He delights in children who obey their parents. And so we delight when children obey us, but we don't want to obey the Lord. Hmm. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? But just think about how much delight it brings you when your children don't argue with you. You don't get into this strife and this debate and this, you have to discipline. Parents hate that. But if you're going to be a good parent and train up children that, don't, that, aren't, uh, that aren't a disaster to society, you've got a parent, right? The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but discipline will drive it far from them. The Bible says if you hate your child, don't discipline them. So we, we have to, but it's so much better when they just obey. It's so, so joyful and so peaceful. God feels the exact same way. Look at this. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Does the Lord delight, there's that word again, in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. This is why in the Old Testament you see a king named Saul who lost the kingdom and God gave it to a guy named David. Why? Because Saul would say but not do. Yes, Lord, not do. Yes, Lord, not do. Yes, Lord, not do. Because he only cared about himself. He didn't care about pleasing the Lord. So then God uh, takes the kingdom from him and gives it to a guy named David, a teenager, about 15 years old, and makes him the next king of Israel. And he says, because of David's heart. He said, people judge it by the outward appearance, but God judges according to the heart. Now, was David perfect? No. As a matter of fact, listen to this. Saul just didn't kill some animals that God said to kill. He didn't do that. And God said, okay, that's it. He just keeps disobeying me. David committed adultery and first degree murder. Have you done that lately? And yet, God's testimony of David all through the New Testament, thousands of years past David's death, God would say, like David, my servant who fulfilled all my will. He kept pointing back to David as his example to us. And yet David sinned grossly. What was the difference? David's desire was to truly please the Lord and obey him. And when he did blow it, he was quick to repent. Saul wouldn't repent. Saul had no desire to serve the Lord. He wouldn't obey the Lord and he wouldn't repent when he was called on it. David desired to serve the Lord. And even though he failed miserably when he was called on it, he would say, Lord, please forgive me and meant it. And God said, I like that. I'd lean toward that repentance. Obedience is rooted in both love and respect. Obedience is rooted in love and respect. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, they'll obey me. That's where obedience comes from. But it also comes from respect. The word that the Bible uses for the word respect of the Lord is the fear of the Lord. It's reverence and awe that God rules and God's in charge. And who am I to argue with him? I'm going to obey him because he's God. Look what the Bible says regarding fear of the Lord. The Lord, here's the word, delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Here's another scripture. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. If you want to know what the fear of the Lord is, it is reverence for God. And God says it, so I'm going to do it. And when you obey him, literally, it's a fountain of life that turns you away from the snares, the traps of death, the thing you want to do. The Bible says that uh, in the heart of man, there, it seems to, 
What is that scripture? It seems, seems what's right. In the heart of man, there's something that seems right, but the end thereof is death. We have to trust the wisdom of the Lord and, and obey him, and it leads us away from death into a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is respect for him. Obeying God over ourselves and others. Look at these blessings for obedience, and we'll move to, move to the next point. Look at these blessings for those who obey the Lord. And all these have that word delight in them. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now some interpret that strictly as God will put his desires in you, then you will desire his desires. I do believe that. But I believe there's a 50% of something else going on here. I believe God just gives you some of the desires of your own heart. Period. Just like we do to our children. We're not better than God. Sometimes you have a desire in your heart. I don't have time to give you illustrations of these, but boy, I could. Sometimes there's just a desire in your heart you haven't even prayed about. You haven't even talked to anybody about it, and God does it. It is shocking, humbling, and overwhelming when God does these little things for us because he's a good father. When we delight in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's another scripture to support that. In Psalm 145, it says, He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And Psalm 35 says, The Lord be exalted who delights, there's that word again, in the well-being. One scripture says, The prosperity of his servant. Come on. How many of you put a bumper sticker on your car that says, My son failed the eighth grade. How many of you delight in the successes of your children? When Bella was in volleyball and she won these awards, I got a camera. I'm like, picture, 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 post, 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 right? She's got all of her volleyball awards, all right? We delight in the success of our children. God delights in your success, not your failure. He wants you to learn from your failures and develop Christ-like character through failures, yes. But God loves your success. Look what the Bible says regarding God's uh, celebrating your success. Deuteronomy 39. The Lord your God will make you successful in everything you do. For the Lord again will, here's the word, delight in being good to you as he was to your ancestors. The Lord your God will delight in you if you obey him. The last scripture on this point. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him but if a sinner becomes wealthy god takes away the wealth and gives it to those who please him i love that verse yeah just go ahead and say give me give me give me give me give me say give me give me give me give me give me you won't do it the lord takes the wealth of the wicked and gives it to those who please him number six god delights in your giving let each one of you give thoughtfully and with purpose just as he decides in his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion for god loves a cheerful giver here's the word and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift and look what god does to the giver 
And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come in abundance to you so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in Him and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. That's in the Bible. I was talking to a friend just recently, a fellow tither, and he said, Christians who don't tithe don't get it. He said, it's that simple. They just don't get it. They do not believe it. Because if I said to you, you're going to get 100% return on this investment. And it's proven. It's a fact. Who wouldn't do that? Well, the Bible says God gives 30, 60, 100 times return on those who give to his kingdom. And so God delights when you give. He delights in it when you give to his kingdom. And it says he delights in it so much. Look what that scripture said. He is going to pour back into your life. That's why it breaks my heart as a pastor for those that don't give. It's a trust issue. Because I know the blessings that you are not receiving by not obeying the Lord with your money. And Jesus said where your money is, that's where your heart is. Number seven, God loves your honesty and truth. Look at this scripture. The Lord detests lying lips. But he delights, there's that word in those who tell the truth. It's so easy to lie to parents, to spouses, to employers, to employees, to teachers, even to friends. Lying is just so easy because it's the easy way out and it's the easy way up. We don't like the blame being on us. We want to get our way. So it just comes off our lips so easily. Lying is so, why does God detest lying and love the truth? Because lying is the complete opposite of his nature. God is truth. He cannot lie. He loves truth. It also, the reason he doesn't like it is because it damages relationships, it corrupts our own character in nature, and it is proof that we are not trusting in him. That God protects us, God provides for us, God is over all and controls all. When we don't believe that, we think we have to lie so that we can get through and up and out. But if you truly trust the Lord, you can stand there and just tell the truth, trusting God will take care of you. Number eight, God loves, leans toward, delights in your holiness. And what's interesting is when you study out the word holiness, so often sexual purity is connected to holiness. The Bible says there's many, there's many sins, but the one sin we do that sins against ourselves is sexual sin because our sexuality is the core of our being. So it actually goes deeper than any other sin into our nature. So holiness, separating ourselves from the things that, destru- that are destructive, um, is what holiness is. It's wholeness. And I say that because in this particular passage, he talks about sexual sin as though it's the same as holiness. Look at this. Number eight, your holiness, First uh, Thessalonians. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that, here's that word, pleases God, makes him happy, that he delights in. As we have taught you, you live this way already. We encourage you to do it even more. For you, you catch that? You live this way already. We encourage you to do it more. So he's focused on how you're already pleasing the Lord. He's saying continue doing it. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Isn't that interesting? He goes right there. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. 
Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins. And we have solemnly warned you about this. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. You know, the world mocks purity. The world mocks purity. God prizes purity. It's beautiful to him. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives us the Holy Spirit. Number nine, God delights in mercy, kindness, justice, and righteousness. Look at these scriptures. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. The Bible says God's mercy triumphs over judgment. Just like a parent. Parents don't love to discipline. We have to sometimes. We delight in mercy and grace. So when we repent, immediately he pours out his mercy on us because he delights and mercy, and he delights when we're merciful to one another. Look at these other scriptures regarding kindness, justice, and righteousness. I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. And here comes the word, for I delight in these, declares the Lord. And then finally on this point, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment that you love each other. In the same way that I have loved you. One of the things that brings God such delight, again, is the same thing that causes parents to delight, is when our children get along. We were leaving for the retreat this weekend, and we were leaving all of our kids at home by themselves, five teenagers, uh, because Nana hadn't been going out of the weekend the same time we were going out, so just landed that way. And right before we left, Hope turned and said, what brings me joy, she got all the kids in the living room, what brings me joy is when my children get along. And I thought, that's exactly what God says. He says that in the word of God. In 1 John, it says that. But I love it when I hear my children are getting along and loving one another. It breaks our hearts when we hear our children saying ugly things. Or, well, ours don't, but I hear the neighbor's children sometimes because... <laughs> And I've heard some of yours. It breaks my heart when I hear your children being ugly to each other. I wish yours were more like mine, who were always so kind and merciful to one another. And, but it does. It, it, it really pains a parent's heart to hear the children bickering and arguing with each other. And it brings such delight to our hearts. Well, it's the same way in the family of God. When we're long-suffering and forbearing and merciful and kind and others-centered and sacrificial for one another... It causes Christ's heart to swell with joy. And then finally, the greatest joy above all these other joys, the last one I wanted to drop on you today, is salvation. The Bible says this, in the same way there's more joy in heaven, more joy in heaven, over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God, than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. God says to all those that I've shared this with today, all my children who are already in my kingdom and you've seen all the things I love 
all the things I delight in, all the things I like, there is one that trumps all of them. The one who is not in my family yet. Who repents from their sin and independence from me and comes to me for salvation through my son. Heaven rejoices more over that. God delights in that more than everything else I've shared with you today. Because for that soul, they will never see God and not spend eternity with him. This whole life is temporary, but eternity is eternal. And we either spend eternity with God or apart from God. You know how I was talking about those big, fat, stupid prayers? I want to tell you a story, and then we're going to close, about a guy named John. A couple weeks ago, we did this workshop called Gospel Conversations, while we were training those who wanted to learn how to effectively share your faith with others. And we just held this workshop last week. During the workshop, we actually go out and practice what we've learned, and we knock on doors. So we went around PQ here, knocking on doors. And what we say when people open the doors is, hi, we're Christians. We go to a church down the street here, and we're just here to pray for whoever wants prayers. Any prayer you might want to have. And one guy that opened the door for Rachel Roman and a friend of ours named JT that came down from Long Beach was a guy named John. John was 85 years old, 86 years old, thank you, and a Muslim. Now, right then you're thinking, there's no way. But not for God, because God delights in saving every soul on this side of heaven. The Bible says God does not desire that anyone should perish, but that all should come to know Him. He's blind, too. John is blind. And so JT, they prayed for him. I love to tell you, his eyes opened. They didn't, but they shared the gospel with him. And he was open and interested. And he said... I have a need. This is a wonderful story. I have a need. I have the money from the government, but I need a caregiver. And I don't have a caregiver. He can't take care of himself. And so Stephanie says, let's pray. She always says that. She is not afraid of the big ask. She said, let's ask God for John to get saved and for God to give him a Christian caregiver. And I was thinking, okay, you pray and I'll agree. (laughs) Because that's... That's pretty darn specific. And I mean, this is a big prayer, right? Well, uh, Stephanie calls Gary, Gary Mancini, and asks Gary, there's a guy named John. We knocked on his door. He's a Muslim. He's 85 years old. He's open to the gospel. Will you go share the gospel with him? And Rachel and and Gary went back to John's house. And Gary's sharing the gospel with him. And at one point, I was told, Gary, that you you weren't quite sure if he understood what the word repent meant, right? Because he said he, you know, he repented, and Gary wasn't quite confident in it. And Gary said, explain to me what you believe the word repent means. And he said, well, you know, it's like when you, you paint a wall, and then you have to repaint it. He thought they were talking about repainting something, not repenting. Good question for clarification, Gary. That sounds like a bad dad joke. And so you guys led him to the Lord? He's open. So you're still sharing the gospel with him?
Wow. Okay. Okay, so what part of that did you miss? <laughs> and you followed up. Yeah. Yeah. So what Rachel was saying, um, okay, we're running really short on time, so you got to knock this out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, if my eyes will be healed, my eyes will be 50% healed, my eyes will be 25% healed, my eyes will be 5% healed, I will believe. And so um, he's open. He has said yes to Jesus, but the Lordship peace, and you guys are following up, and you ask him if he wants to study the Bible once a week with him, you're going to be going back. Okay, but listen to this. So the day they were going to go over to meet with John, they, uh, Rachel was walking with a friend, and this friend said, hey, I have a prayer need. I have a Christian friend that goes to Maranatha Chapel, and she's a caregiver, and she needs a job. So this Christian caregiver went to the house with Gary and Rachel, and John hired her, and she's his caregiver now. Come on! Isn't that great? Woo! Yes. So these are the things that God delights in. How many of these things are you already doing? You're already his child if you come to his son, Jesus. Receiving his kingdom, you, that's on you. You've got to delight in receiving his kingdom because he delights giving it. Do you pray? If you pray, you're already pleasing him. He loves to hear your voice. Are you obeying? What areas of your life are you obeying in? What areas are you not obeying in? You can, you can up his pleasure by saying, I'm going to start obeying you in this area. You're giving. You can plead, you please him. Every time you give, you bring delight to his heart. If you're not giving, start giving. Bring delight to his heart. Your holiness and sexual purity. Maybe you need to turn from some things. Please Him with your holiness and purity. The world will mock you. Don't worry about what they think. Honor the Lord with your sexual purity. Your mercy and kindness and righteousness and justice. These things please the Lord. He takes delight in them. I'm sure you're doing many of these things. And then, of course, salvation. Will you close your eyes with me this morning in this place? If you've never given your life to Christ, heaven rejoices more over you coming to Jesus than anything else we've talked about today. And it's so simple. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus and He does the rest. Would you raise your hand in this building today and say, I've never given my life to Jesus, but I need to. I need to know my sins are forgiven. I need to know that I'm right with God. I want to say yes to Jesus. Just like the 85-year-old Muslim John, 86-year-old. Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus today for the forgiveness of my sins so that I can live the rest of eternity in heaven with God. I see your hand right down here, the front row. Anybody else raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need my sins forgiven. I need to come to God. Anybody else raise their hand and say, that's me.
Amen. Let's all stand. I'm going to ask. I'm going to.